0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ken Barron, on his journey from being raised in an Orthodox Jewish home to Christian ministry leader.
1: I had no clue that Jesus was a Jew. I'm I'm telling you, even though I was raised in Jewish family and around Catholic people, I had no idea. I was, Jesus was Catholic as far as I was concerned Mm -hmm. or Protestant. And I was Jewish, and we didn't talk about Jesus. And I'd ask my father about Jesus. He said, well, we don't believe that he was the Messiah, but we knew he was a great prophet. Ken Barron, next.
0: It looked very unlikely Ken Barron's life was headed in a good direction when he was in his 20s and homeless. However, after a series of various leadership positions, today, Ken is Executive Vice President of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Ken is quick to give all credit and glory to God. Ken, tell us about your family life as you grew up.
1: Yeah, I was born in New York City, uh, raised there as an Orthodox Jewish family, uh, Orthodox then uh, more conservative later on as my parents aged, and uh, uh, I had a pretty, I guess, normal childhood. And then when I got into high school, I started to test out a few things. That was back in the you know early '60s, so it was uh, quite a transition in our culture back then. And I fell right into that culture and started experimenting with drugs, uh, and wound up, well, probably couple of years after I started smoking pot as a heroin addict and remained that way for about seven years of my life wound up uh, being disowned by my Jewish family and uh, went to a place where I wound up living in the streets of Houston, Texas. That's uh, a long story. How I got there. I don't need to share all that, but I, I wound up living in the gutter and, and uh, in the cardboard box homeless at the ripe old age of 23, hmm. and uh, went to a methadone program to to uh, try to get off drugs. At that age, I was tired of it. I was really tired of, of that kind of life. I think my Jewish upbringing, I was bar mitzvahed when I was 13, and I think I was given a really good uh, foundation in life, but decided to stray, and uh, I was led along another path. And I went to a methadone program and I I was confronted one day by a Catholic nun Mm. named Sister Amelia. And Bill, she was about four feet wide and four feet tall. (laughs) She she had a habit on, uh, different from my habit, she had a clothing habit. And uh, she she approached me one day and she said, because I had to go every morning, and she said, your name is Kenneth, isn't it? And I said, yes, Sister, it is. And she was scary. She looked scary. And I remember my Catholic friends telling me their experiences with nuns, although I wasn't, I wasn't intimidated at all. I just had this vision of, of meanness. But if anything, she was the opposite. She came across stuff and she said, look, uh, why are you coming here? And I said, to get this medicine, uh, sister. She says, uh, well, I think God has another plan for you. And now I'm living on the streets, and uh, she then said to me, uh, if I can get you into this hospital to get off of drugs, would you promise never to use drugs again? I said, sister, I can't promise you that. That, that I'd be lying to you. I've been lying for a long time. I'd just be lying to you. I said, but I don't have a place to stay, and I sure could use a nice hot meal and a place to sleep, so Mm -hmm. I could try. And that started on the recovery process uh, following that, I went to a treatment program in Houston that was just starting, and that was a therapeutic community. That was a three-year commitment to that program, very, very difficult, all run by ex-addicts and ex-convicts, no professional, so to speak, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got everything donated, food, clothing, cars, whatever it was, and we, I progressed there, graduated from the program, but stayed there for 11 years and became... Through a series of strange events that only God could could uh, orchestrate, I I became president of this organization, and that uh, that was very different. Uh, I actually uh, had been married for a short time uh once before and had a child that was my actual motivation to go into the drug program in the first place i didn't have any legal entanglements
2: mm-hmm.
1: like a lot of people did but i went into the program it was very tough uh my wife divorced me of course immediately and then uh, uh i got married in the program to uh, in a kind of prearranged marriage I, I can't go into that too much now but that sounds interesting uh, had three boys. Yeah, it's a very interesting story, (laughs) but we don't have time on the air to talk about it. I mean, I'm not afraid to talk about it, but just don't have time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, we started some cottage industries. We were making football equipment for the NFL and using the residents of the program and this big building that we had acquired uh, called the William, it was the old William Penn Hotel in a very bad part of town. But we took that, renovated 10 floors and used one of the floors of manufacturing uh, area. And taught our people different skills in from manufacturing, shipping, receiving, manufacturing, sales, marketing, and uh, then getting into the NFL and a lot of great experiences from that.
0: Do I understand correctly, Ken, that somehow President Reagan heard about this and paid you a visit?
1: He was on his way to Houston for a campaign stop for Senator John Tower, and they asked to call me up and said we'd like to know if you'd like to have President Reagan stop by. And I didn't believe him for a minute. You know, again, yep. I'm a Jewish kid from New York, drug addict, in <laughs> this strange environment. President wants to come? Well, sure enough, he did come. <laughs> uh, and then he went back. <laughs> After a great visit, I spent a couple of hours talking to him, sharing my story, and he said he was going to go tell Nancy about it. Well, <laughs> that was weird. I wasn't a political animal at all, Ben. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were liberal Democrats, as uh, most Jewish people from New York were, mm-hmm. uh, frightened that the Republicans were going to steal their Social Security, which I found out much later on was just this big lie and rumor that had taken place years ago. But it it, it caused them to be uh, Democrats.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, they, you know, I wasn't in contact with them. But after... Uh, he visited, and we had a great conversation. He went through the whole program, tried out the football equipment. The next day, I got a call from James Baker, who was his chief of staff, inviting me to come to the White House. I never been there before. I went up there and uh, in conversation, uh, he said, "You know you've done such a great job with drug addicts. Uh, we'd like you to join the campaign because just think what you can do with Republicans." <laughs> I, right. <laughs> okay. I joined the campaign in Texas and worked on the Reagan Bush '84. Worked on that, and then after the, the president won in a landslide, they offered me a job. They needed to get 3,500 people there, and I never thought they'd accept me up there. But I wound up going to Washington, taking the job as uh, deputy assistant secretary of public affairs for the Department of Health and Human Services. Didn't even know what that did. I had no clue. Yeah. I had no idea. Uh, now, I used to uh, we get into this, the God thing. I used to pray to God all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it was like my imaginary friend. I had nobody else to talk to. I had nobody I could trust other than myself, which I couldn't even trust me. But I had this imaginary friend that uh, I finally realized was God. And I was praying for a lot of things to get me out of this or get me out of that. And he answered those prayers. Hmm. And I never asked him to send me to Washington and for a job like that. But two weeks after I was there, I got a call from the White House asking to come meet with Mrs. Reagan, who I had met on the campaign trail a couple of times, talked about drug abuse. That was her interest. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after some time with her, she offered me a job on her staff so uh, that's amazing incredible incredible <laughs> to me and uh, incredible to everybody i guess and 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 i was pinching myself every single day i walked in the east uh entrance of the white house to my office i was uh her director of projects and policy lofty term for uh i was the guy who did her pr work and, mm-hmm. and found events for her to go to associated with drugs and then we started the. Or develop out of that the just say no yeah, program,
0: right? Yeah, which
1: had a life of its own, uh, and then the time was coming near for the uh, term to end, and uh, somebody said, "You better start looking for a job because everybody's going to be bamboosing."
0: And then you got your next job based upon a Business Week article on uh, CEOs and so forth, and you called a number of them
1: and found work that way. I was probably breaking some law at this point. <laughs> right? And I'd call these CEOs' offices and say, this is Ken Barrett from the White House. Can I speak to Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones? And and uh, they'd always say, well, he's out of the office. He's meeting. Uh, can I take a message? And I'd say, Ken Barrett from the White House. And they'd say, can I say what is concerning? Without fail, that's what the question was. Yeah. Just tell them it's personal. <laughs> and as a result of that, I got about six job offers. Uh, the one I didn't get a call from. The one I didn't try was uh, a call from Jim Rosebush, who was Mrs. Reagan's chief of staff when I went there. And he said, I hear you're looking for a job. And he said, McDonald's is looking for people. And I said, well, I know McDonald's is always looking for people. <laughs> uh, I said, I don't know if that's... I may have to go to McDonald's. I mean, that's what I'm probably my skill level is. Yeah. And I'm probably not skilled for that. He said, no, they're looking for an executive. And after about 15 interviews, including one with Joan Kroc, mm-hmm. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's Wife. Uh, I got a job as a director, but they wanted me to start their corporate charity. Now, uh, that's amazing. You know, here I am, and here I am and again in a position I don't uh, have any clue how to start a charity.
0: And you're probably, what, 30, you're, 35
1: or something like that? Yeah, about that. And it was, it was 1986, and uh, I just was totally unprepared for that. But I went through these interviews, and I seemed to do well. and uh, even with my background, and they hired me, and we started this thing called Ronald McDonald Children's Charities, which then evolved to Ronald McDonald House Charities, which most people know about. And I stayed there twenty years. Uh, th- this is where everything changed. And I don't want to tell you but everything that happened again was not because of any intellect or any uh, issue of me being smarter than anybody else, I always felt very uh, uh, low on the totem pole. Hmm. I didn't have a lot of self-esteem, but these people were giving me these jobs and, and opportunities. And there were things that I came up with in these jobs that were amazing to me. And I'd always wake up in the morning after drugs, I'd start working out and I started to get in good physical shape. A lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. And usually in the morning when I was working out, I'd, an idea would pop in my head, something would happen. I'd get wake up in the middle of the night with an idea. And I'd say, where did this come from? And they were solutions to current issues. They were, how do we build this brand of just say no? How do we build this, this charity, Ronald McDonald House Char- How do we do that? Mm-hmm. I thought... There was nobody to help me. They gave me no staff at first. I was working for McDonald's, but I had no staff on Ronald McDonald House charity. Uh, eventually, after making friends with the CEO of McDonald's, he gave me a couple of people as a staff, and then we started with three hundred thousand dollars in our budget to give away to different organizations, and there were about ten Ronald McDonald houses that had already been started, and they were independent of McDonald's McDonald's just let them use this name and it seemed to catch on as you know. And uh, then I started getting these ideas on how to make this, it became very complex uh, in the way this worked. And again, no foundation experience, no fundraising to speak experience. And these things, PR experience. Now I gained from the white house, Mm -hmm. a little bit of, Legals from running the drug program, but not enough to do something this major, and uh, it just built and built and and during that time I came to Christ. I'll come back to that. But in when I left there in two thousand seven, I felt this calling to leave, uh, and God set it up. So I left, and of all things. Uh, The guy who led me to Christ happened to be on the board of BGEA and Samaritan's Purse, called me one day and said, you know, I I know you're probably thinking about leaving McDonald's. Why don't you come down and help with Samaritan's Purse and Billy Graham? I said, you're crazy.
0: My guest today on His People is Mr. Ken Barron. He is Executive Vice President of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's been telling us really how how God has uh, really revealed to you leadership gifts that— you obviously didn't realize you had it first but as this snowball kind of got going you 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 were shown what these gifts were and you had mentioned that you had started the charity of the ronald mcdonald house you were hired for that and you came to christ and you were about i wonder if we could possibly come back to that for just a moment as i understand it you were at a restaurant you accepted christ at a restaurant table do i understand that correctly
1: yes Uh, let me go back just a hair uh when I started a job at McDonald's, now Ronald McDonald houses, I don't want to take any, anybody think I'm taking credit for anything because I'm not, but it's all God. But the Ronald McDonald houses were already started, but there were just a few of them. They were, again, they were independent of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I was working for McDonald's to start this bigger charity that would encompass everything, uh, all kinds of... In fact, I had to come up with what we were going to do. And uh, obviously we focused on children, but I I met my my friend who became the guy who led me to Christ at a Ronald McDonald house in Atlanta, Georgia, he had one McDonald's restaurant, his name is Paul Saber. He was on the board of Billy Graham and Samaritan's Purse. Hmm. Now, I didn't know that at all. My father used to watch Billy Graham on television when I was a kid, and it was after synagogue. Again, remember what the dogs <laughs> do? Interesting. After synagogue on Saturday afternoon, my father would be watching this Christian television. I couldn't figure out what he's doing. But I wanted to go out and play with my friends, and he wanted me to watch this guy preaching about this person called Jesus. And uh, I remember kids chasing me home from school, telling me I uh, killed Jesus. And I couldn't, I didn't know what they were talking about. I said, I didn't kill anybody, and I don't even know who Jesus is. But then things started to come together for me. But later on, I met my friend at McDonald's at around McDonald's. He owned one McDonald's restaurant in Atlanta, traded it to somebody in Albuquerque, New Mexico for two restaurants. Eventually wound up having 14 restaurants in Albuquerque. Uh, But during that time we became friends and we were in a a charity race that one, uh, that that car driver magazine had set up that we pledged miles for people driving around like the old cannonball run. Mm -hmm. We'd arranged to have them drive cars fast cars, classic cars, whatever. And my friend, this guy that I had met, Paul, had asked me to get him a car so he and his friend could drive around. And we got him a Ferrari of all cars. Well, through a series of events, I wound up driving with him. And he keeps telling me to go faster, go faster, go faster. And I'm saying, man, you're not afraid to die. And he says, no. I said, what does that mean? He says, I know where I'm going. I said, oh, that's really good. What what, what do you know? Where, where are you going? Yep. He says, uh, and he starts to talk to me about his faith. I pull over to the side of the road and said, look, I'm a Jew. Everything's going fine for me. It wasn't really inside, but mm-hmm. I told him that. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, so don't thump me over the head with your Bible, and, and I won't. I'll respect you, and you can respect me. Okay, and we pulled away from the curb, and then he said, now let me tell you about my friend Jesus. Hmm. And he talked to me about Jesus for ten years. Mm. Uh, we were in a restaurant, as you mentioned, in Chicago, outside of Chicago. He and his wife, me, and my new wife, who I had met at McDonald's, uh, Sophia, the love of my life, who was the barber at McDonald's. She owned a barbershop shop called McClip, <laughs> and and she had gotten divorced. I had gotten divorced from my wife, and she had three girls. I had a girl and three boys. And so we blended this family together. Uh, But that night at the restaurant, I said to Paul, I said, this may upset my wife, my brand new bride, but I'm going to say it anyway, because you've been a great friend to me. I said, at the risk of getting her upset with me, I've got to tell you, I thought marrying her would fill this emptiness I have inside. And She wasn't offended. She kind of knew what was going on because she had heard me talking to him. And uh, he said, well, Ken, I've been telling you what to do for 10 years. I said, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. mean, What do I have to do? He said, you need to accept Jesus. I said, well, how do I do that? Do I need to go to a synagogue and announce my Jewishness, or do I have to step on a glass or build a football (laughs) or something like that, Jewish traditions? He said, no, just pray with me. So right there at that restaurant, we prayed, And I watched my whole life go in front of my eyes. There was a big cloud that came over me. I started to cry like I'd never cried before. My body was shaking. Uh, when we finally said amen, uh, was this? I was drained. I was drained, but I had life. I mean, I felt fulfilled. I felt completed, which... I'm using that term, but he had told me what I would become as a completed Jew, mm-hmm. and I had no clue. And this is very important to realize, and because I keep studying this, I had no clue that Jesus was a Jew. I'm, I'm telling you, even though I was raised in Jewish family and around Catholic people, I had no idea. I was Je- Jesus was Catholic as far as I was concerned, mm-hmm. or Protestant. And I was Jewish, and we didn't talk about Jesus. And I'd asked my father about Jesus. He said, well, we don't believe that he was the Messiah, but we knew he was a great prophet. Okay, that's as much as I knew. Yeah. I did not realize that Jesus came to earth, that, that God had sent his son to take our sins, but he focused on people of Israel. Mm-hmm. No clue that he, he was born. He lived, he died, he was resurrected as a Jew. Christians didn't even exist. Now, I'm a Jewish kid. I had no clue of that. And then I started to read the rest of the book. You know, I had the, and that's what I tell people. I read the rest of the story. I opened my mind to that. And I realized that Jesus was sent for me. And you, Bill, of course, was sent for all of us. Yeah. Me specifically, because I was a Jew and I'm going, this is crazy. So why did we persecute him? Why, do, why did we not accept this. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's an ongoing discussion. But anyway, I uh, after that, I, I stayed at McDonald's. But now, I was also a senior vice president of McDonald's at this time. I'd gone from just starting the charity to now I'm handling other corporate matters as well as Ronald McDonald House charities. I told you we started with $300,000. When I left, we had assets of $1.6 billion. And that was all God's doing. I These ideas that came in, how we handled them was all God's so fast forward a number
0: of years, Ken, you're working with McDonald's, but then you decided it's time to retire. W- what did you do?
1: I went to HR and I said, look, I'm going I'm to leave I'm gonna retire. and retire. Uh, he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. But my friend Paul calls me the day I told him I was leaving. And he had suggested this before that I might have done North Carolina, six months before that, a friend of mine from North Carolina, a former McDonald's guy, asked me to come down and visit the Billy Graham Library, which was being built. And when I got came and visited, it was really to play golf with him at a North Carolina golf course. And there was a hole in the ground. But the people at this ministry were so nice and so sweet and so good uh, that I remember made, they made a strong impression on me. I went back and told my wife about it. Well, six months later, Paul, I quit McDonald's, and Paul says, why don't you come down there? And I said, I can't go down there. Oh, I said, I'm I'm a new believer. Five years, I I don't know much. He said, and I was being discipled by a pastor and some other guys, but didn't know much at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, well, why can't you go down there? I said, because they're all Christians. I don't know what to say or what to do. And believe me, it was a struggle mm-hmm. the first couple of years I was here, figuring mm-hmm. out the terminology and, and the way you approach people. And some of the, I didn't know the difference between discipleship and witnessing to people, mm. uh, but I learned and I kept my mouth shut and my ears open. And Franklin was great to me, Franklin Graham, who was my interview here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I, I probably never would have passed the, the employment test today, knowing what I know now, but uh, Franklin was great. He, Took me under his arm he, he had me travel with him a lot of places and i was put in charge of communications all the communications uh things that are here the way we communicate as well as donor ministries and then eventually became his chief of staff and uh at billy graham and then uh we hired a guy that's just a great operational guy and he became the coo and i've become executive vice president and I have government relations, all the communications, and still donor ministries, but uh, all the vice presidents that report to me are wonderful, talented, skilled people that are have been called here. You've got to be called here. Uh, we've seen people come, and we think they're going to work out, but they're not called, and you can see that. Mm-hmm. And all my focus has gone on Jesus. There's been a lot of things that have happened since I've been here. I had a daughter My oldest daughter died. Mm. Uh, I wound up, my wife and I wound up uh, with a great-grandson who were raising from birth. Uh, uh, My mother came to live with us uh, after Hurricane Harvey had hit Houston where she lived, and uh, she just passed away last September at Mm. 100 years old. Wow. This was my mother who kicked me out of the house, and yet she came to cry. My parents when I called my parents to tell them I accepted Christ, which was one of my first calls, even though they hadn't talked to me, uh, I said, I'm going to get this owned. They started talking to me when I went to the White House, when they knew I had a job at the White yeah. House. This was years, 15 years before, uh, they started to call me, but I was never close to them. I've got to say, uh, my father's been in heaven all this time, you know, but when I called them to tell them that I accepted Christ, I thought I was going to get this owned again. And my father answered the phone. He said, oh, Kenny, how you doing? You know, Jewish father. And uh, I told him I accepted Jesus Christ. The last night I accepted Jesus Christ. He said, he didn't say anything. He started crying. And I thought, oh, now I've done it. But I'm not going to be dishonest with him. And and my mother gets on the phone and said, what did you say to your father to get him so upset? I said, I told her. And she didn't say a word. Silence. And then she revealed to me, she said, we're not crying because we're mad at you. We're crying because we're happy. Because 27 years ago, we were looking for help for you with your drug problem and praying for you. We found Jesus. Mm. So they had been for 27 years, Messianic Jews practicing in Houston tonight because I wasn't talking to them. I didn't know that. Even when they talked to me at in, in the White House, I didn't talk to them long. They just wanted somebody to get a tour. My Aunt Sophia, somebody's coming through Washington. But uh mm. that was a blessing. But my, my dad died and then my mother died. My brother who was older than me, he died, but uh I was fortunate enough to to be equipped to lead him to Christ before he died. Uh he was gay and uh mm. struggled with that all his life, but he was in a nursing home in Houston and I had the opportunity to pray with him. Uh but there have been some tough times in this struggle, too. Financially, it's been a struggle. Uh, Even though I've had these great jobs, financially, God God pruned me Mm -hmm. and had me focus on the gospel. And Franklin and Will Graham and uh, uh, Edward Graham and Sissy Graham, all these people that are part of the Graham family had just been tremendous mentors to me, as well as Mr. Graham, when he was alive. I, I got to know him. And uh, the other people were Billy Graham, Cliff Barrows, George Beverly Shea, those people were all alive when I was here and very much influenced me in in the area of humility.
0: Any advice for those of us, uh, those listening to this, uh, in sharing that good news with our family or our friends?
1: I think i go back to how I came to Christ in that time with my friend Paul and Paul uh, he's about to have, his uh, this hip replaced. I sh- probably shouldn't share that with the world, but, <laughs> but, uh, I hope everybody will pray for Paul Sabre. He's been an absolute, uh, wonderful love in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, never give up. That's the advice. He worked on me for 10 years, 10 years and never gave up on me. And I think of anything that I would advise people, even though you don't you're, there's somebody in your family or your friends or uh, somebody you know. Uh, never give up on. That's what I would say. I think that's the advice. Don't ever give up. Franklin Graham is very strong on. Don't ever back up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever. Uh, don't be afraid, and speak the truth. And that's what I would say. With your friends too. With those that you want to know Christ.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Ken Barron, Executive Vice President of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Uche Anazor on why Christians slide into spiritual apathy and how to fight against it. I imagine it is a spiritual sort of thing, that um, that our enemy is, is, is opposed to Christians caring, our flesh is opposed to Christians caring. And so I, I, I want us to recognize that it's not just something that you need therapy for. It might be, but it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.